Welcome to The Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today's text takes us to Lamentations chapter 3, which, even though it's three times the verses, actually ends up being about the same length, at least on my study paper, uh, as the other two chapters were. Uh, It's a triple acrostic poem. So instead of each uh, letter getting one verse, each letter of the Hebrew alphabet gets three verses in a row. So Aleph is their first letter that gets verses one, two, and three each start with that. And then Bait is the second, four, five, and six, and so forth through the 22 letters of the alphabet. So 22 times three, 66 verses in our English text. All right, let's go ahead and read it and then study together. I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy, though I call and cry for help. He shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He has made my paths crooked. He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrows. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. I have become the laughingstock of all peoples the object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from Yahweh. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of Yahweh never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Yahweh is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in him. Yahweh is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of Yahweh. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes, and let him be filled with insults. For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, he will have compassion, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. To crush underfoot all the prisoners of the earth, to deny a man justice in the presence of the Most High, to subvert a man in his lawsuit, the Lord does not approve. Who has spoken and it came to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? Why should a living man complain, a man, about the punishment of his sins? Let us test and examine our ways and return to Yahweh. Let us lift up our hearts and hands to God in heaven. We have transgressed and rebelled, and you have not forgiven. You have wrapped yourself with anger and pursued us, killed without pity. You have wrapped yourself with a cloud so that no prayer can pass through. You have made us scum and garbage among the peoples. All our enemies open their mouths against us. Panic and pitfall have come upon us, devastation and destruction. 
My eyes flow with rivers of tears because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. My eyes will flow without ceasing, without respite, until Yahweh from heaven looks down and sees. My eyes cause me grief at the fate of all the daughters of my city. I have been hunted like a bird by those who were my enemies without cause. They flung me alive into the pit and cast stones on me. Water closed over my head, and I said, I am lost. I called on your name, O Yahweh, from the depths of the pit. You heard my plea. Do not close your ear to my cry for help. You came near when I called on you. You said, Do not fear. You have taken up my cause, O Lord. You have redeemed my life. You have seen the wrong done to me, O Yahweh. Judge my cause. You have seen all their vengeance, all their plots against me. You have heard their taunts, O Yahweh, all their plots against me. The lips and thoughts of my assailants are against me all day long. Behold, they're sitting and they're rising. I am the object of their taunts. You will repay them, O Yahweh, according to the work of their hands. You will give them dullness of heart. Your curse will be upon them. You will pursue them in anger and destroy them from under your heavens, O Yahweh. This is the word of the Lord. So the text, again, is going to shift. And the beginning of it starts with judgment. And then we have hope here in the middle. And the end of it is, again, uh, different than the start. The start of each chapter has been about the judgment. The end of each chapter has taken on a different focus. Uh, The end of chapter 1 and the end of chapter 3, very much the same. A prayer for God to judge the enemy. So the beginning of today's chapter is about the suffering of Jeremiah. How God's judgment Mm. and how God's wrath have fallen even upon him, even upon the one who has spoken the word. And in part, it has fallen upon him because of the word. As he spoke and preached God's word, he was arrested. He was harmed uh, by the people who did not want to hear it. But now the actual judgment that has fallen upon Jerusalem has also cast him out, has driven him out. And he declares that God has cast him out into darkness without any light. Now, that light comes in this very chapter, right, in the middle of the text. So hold on to that. Um, a lot of lines about the, just the hardship that Jeremiah is enduring, uh, the judgment that he has faced. So my flesh and skin waste away, broken bones, besieged, enveloped with bitterness and tribulation. All this is just Jeremiah expressing his grief over what he has seen, over what he has lived in the course of the last Well, I mean, year when it comes to the actual judgment on Jerusalem, but in his case, even longer, perhaps, if you include the suffering for preaching that he endured as well. I cry, I call and cry for help, and he shuts out my prayer. We actually see Jeremiah later in the chapter say the opposite, that the Lord heard his prayer. So this is grief. Uh, Christians are overcome by this in grief as well, like, In those darkness moments in life, we feel like God isn't answering. We feel like he's not listening. Our feelings are deceptive. That's something to bear in mind here because, again, verse 56, you heard my plea. See the difference? The Lord does hear us, and the Lord does answer us. The Lord does see our affliction. The Lord does see our suffering in this world. And the Lord does provide for us. And he also saves us. Verse 9, he has made my paths crooked. Note how that's the opposite of what John the Baptist was sent to do, right? 
um, prophesied by Isaiah originally, and then fulfilled by John the Baptist, that he would make straight the ways of the Lord, so that all would be able to see their Savior and hear him as he came. Jeremiah describes the Lord in verses 10 and 11 as, a, as an ambush waiting to happen, to destroy him. Note, he turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. So he led Jeremiah right into the ambush. This is uh, opposite of Psalm 119, 105. Sorry, Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So God uses his word to guide us. But here, and again, Jeremiah guided into the judgment is, is how he's expressing this. And then verses 12 and 13 describe God killing him, right? Just like verses 10 and 11 do as well. Just different images. The laughingstock of the people, God has filled me with bitterness. My soul is bereft of peace. First question for your kids from this text, who brings us peace? This would be Isaiah 9, that the Messiah who would come, that the end of his government, there would be no end of his government, nor would there be an end to his peace. It is Jesus who brings us peace, a wonderful theme of both Advent and Christmas seasons that we have together. Verse 18, so I say, notice this is again Jeremiah, this is him expressing his grief, this is him expressing what he's been going through and feeling. So I say, my endurance has perished, my hope from Yahweh has perished. Is that true? Let your children answer that question, right? Is it true that Jeremiah's hope has perished? And the answer to that is no, as Jeremiah himself is about to say in verse 21, which we're going to skip to, this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. So his hope hasn't perished. When his thoughts deceive him, he recalls the promise. When his feelings plunge him into darkness, he recalls the hope that he has in the word of God. That's a lesson for us to take away. That's something for us to learn because the days are dark. 2 Timothy 3.12 tells us that they will only get darker. I guess 13 probably. Chapter 3 verses 12 and 13. uh, That evil will go from bad to worse as the time of Christ draws near. So We aren't to expect life to be good, but we are to remember the hope that we have in Jesus and that that hope cannot be taken away from us. And then this is that hope, right, expressed here in verses 22 and onward. Uh, Verse 22 to 33 are the only portion of the book of Lamentations that we read in church. If you think about the church year and the calendar and how we go through an Old Testament reading, an epistle reading, and a gospel reading each week, This is the only part of Lamentations that shows up in that three-year reading system. I don't know for those of you on the one-year lectionary if it shows up for you at all. Um, Be worth checking into. I've been pointing out a lot of Jesus to you in the book, and it's certainly here as well. It is, we are a people that do grieve, and so there is a place for lamentation. We do feel the weight of our sin. We do live through the consequences of our sin And so there is a purpose for lamentation, even for us as Christians today. So this is the only part read because it is that, well, it's the light in the midst of the darkness, to use wording out of this chapter. It is the center of the book, quite literally, both because of its position, but also because of the hope fixed in Jesus. So verse 22, the steadfast love of Yahweh never ceases, the the chesed, as the Hebrew would put it. Um, never ends. 
Uh, Hesed means uh, ESV like steadfast love. Covenant faithfulness is another way to consider it too. Um, I see mercy sometimes, but probably steadfast love and covenant faithfulness are the words to keep together, or in short, love and faithfulness, that the Lord loves you and he is faithful to you, that the Lord has made you promises and he will keep those promises. That's at the root of what this word's getting at, and it never ceases. The Lord will not cease his promise. He will not resist it. He will not refuse it. He will not ignore it. So, great chance. Talk about what has God promised to you. That promise never ceases. He will do it. He will keep it. That's the hope right here. His mercy never comes to an end. They are new every morning. That's probably a line that's well known. Maybe the best known line out of the whole book. Um, that the mercies of God are new every morning. Every day, he's with you. Each and every day. And it doesn't matter how dark the day may seem. How stressful the day may seem. The Lord is there. He is yours. Christ dwells in you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. To use a couple of New Testament phrases. Great is your faithfulness. Yahweh is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. Compare that, contrast that to verse 18, right? What he says in his feelings versus what he says in what he knows about God and who God is and what God does. Just night and day different, right? I will hope because Yahweh is mine. Yahweh is good to those who wait for him, the soul who seeks him. And this would be what Jesus says in Matthew 16. Matthew 6, sorry, um, that at the end of a period of text about not being anxious, not worrying, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he will add all these things unto you, essentially. The Lord will care for you. Good that we should wait quietly for salvation. Uh, that would be Jesus, right? This that would be the Messiah coming into creation. But it would also, in our perspective, be the second coming that we would wait quietly for Christ to return and take us home to be with himself, to fulfill his promises to us. That doesn't mean you sit there and don't say anything, but it means to, to live a life where you're not crying and complaint all the time, um, but you're just going about the work that the Lord has given you to do. Love God, love your neighbor. Um, that's verse 27, right? Good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Be diligent in the work that the Lord has given him to do. We are caretakers of creation. Let him put his mouth in the dust. Uh, so grieve. Also humility in that. There may yet be hope. So this is actually perhaps spoken to the people in exile. Ezekiel will speak such a message to them as well. Um, that they are to go ahead and build homes. They are to go ahead and, and work there and, and do what they can there because the Lord will bless them and he will return them to their, their land of Judah in the future. Verse 30, let him give his cheek to the one who strikes. It's going to sound an awful lot like Matthew 5. So the second reference to the Sermon on the Mount today, as Jesus says, turn the other cheek. Um, we are not to seek vengeance. We are not to pick up the sword against our enemies. The Lord will do that for us on the day of judgment. We are to instead love them. We are to instead share the gospel with them. 
the law and the gospel in hopes that they would repent and believe, which is, again, chapter 1 kind of gave us that theme, the, the hope that the enemy would repent, but also the prayer at the end for judgment against the enemy. And we're going to see that prayer at the end of this one again today. The Lord will not cast off forever. Such a true statement. Even though they were cast into exile, the Lord did not leave them there. He would bring them back. Even though we are technically in exile, according to the New Testament, this is not our home. The Lord has not cast us off forever. He will call us to be with him in the place he is preparing for us. Though he cause grief, he will have compassion. That's a deep phrase to consider, right? The Lord causes grief. It is his judgment against our sins that brings grief, right? The main thing we grieve in this world, and we use that word with, is death. Death comes because of sin. But the other things that end up causing us grief as well, we could look at in the same way. The Lord does not leave us in that grief, though he has compassion, and he brings us hope. He lifts us out of our lament into joyous celebration. Even if it's not today, it's coming. Uh, 34 through 36 give us several things that God does not approve of, and they're the very things happening to his people right now. They are crushed underfoot, they are treated as prisoners, they're denied justice, and so forth. So the Lord will the Lord will avenge. Verse 37, who has spoken and it came to pass unless the Lord commanded it? Note that the false prophets were doing this in Jeremiah's book but it didn't come to pass. They were speaking, and it was wrong. This was how God actually told his Old Testament people to test a prophet, to know whether they're true or not. If they say, thus says Yahweh, and it doesn't come to pass, then Yahweh didn't say it, and they're not a true prophet. And the penalty for that was actually supposed to be death. But the people were letting these prophets get away with things. I'm not encouraging killing prophets today, but man, we have a lot of false prophets in our era. They say this all the time. That this is what God has said when it's not even close. We, we do not have the authority to kill them, but we should stop listening to them. Cast off those who itch your ears. Listen to the ones who preach the word, who give you Christ and him crucified. For that is what Paul said he desired to know above all things. Isn't, is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? That is a true statement again. Um, The Lord brings both, and he also brings both judgment and salvation as well. Verse 39, why should a living man complain about the punishment of his sins? Oh, but we do. We complain about the punishment of our sins all the time. Our bodies, as they break down, that's sin. That is the consequence of sin, and yet we complain about that quite a bit. Um, We complain about a lot of things, and again, consequences of our sins. Verse 40 is a call to discern and repent, to look at our lives, to repent and turn to the Lord. This is what 1 Corinthians 11 is about too, as Paul says that, you know, let a man examine himself before he receives the Lord's Supper. Let us lift up our hearts and hands as a call to pray. We have transgressed and rebelled, so here's perhaps the prayer. You have not forgiven. So here's the darkness, as Jeremiah is going to go into a section here about how Things have not gone well. God is not listening. But again, he's going to reverse that, right, um, later on. So we're skipping ahead then. Verse 49, my eyes flow without ceasing. 
until Yahweh from heaven looks down and sees. Ask your children, did Yahweh look down and see? Did he see the suffering of people? Did he help them? Did he act? And the answer to that, again, is yes, he did. And he not only did it by letting them go home eventually, you know, 538 B.C., he did it by sending Jesus to save us from our sins, right? The actual problem wasn't Babylon. The actual problem was sin, and God has come to defeat that for us. All right, so now the rest of this is going to shift towards the enemy. Well, primarily, you get some of that in 52 to 54, and then again, 58 and onward. There's a little glimpse there in the middle, though, that we need to see. I called on your name from the depth of the pit, and you heard my plea. Jonah did that, too, from the belly of the fish. God heard his plea. God hears and answers his people. Also, verse 57, you came near when I called on you. Ask your children, when did God come near? Ask your children, who often says, do not fear in the scriptures, in the Bible? Angels and Jesus like to use that phrase, right? And here Jeremiah says it. You have taken up my cause. You have redeemed my life. Again, this has been done by Jesus for us. Verses 59 through 66, as we're wrapping up today, and this is again a prayer that ends chapter 3, just as chapter 1 ended, a prayer that the Lord would, would judge the enemies of his people for their sins too. In chapter 1, it seemed to be Jerusalem, or the Jews praying it. Now in chapter 3, it's Jeremiah who seems to be praying it. Um, you will repay them according to their work, the works of their hands. Your curse will be on them. That's a Genesis 12 promise, actually, that God made to Abram. Abraham was that he would bless those who blessed Abram, and he would curse those who cursed him. So those who are against the people of God, God will curse. And that's what Jeremiah prays be fulfilled as this chapter concludes our text. Mm-hmm.